1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're not going to spend too much time here today because I already took part of it, getting some stuff out of the way. But today we are starting the Kings and Prophets in our Year of the Bible series. And uh, we've had a saying that we have around here. It's a belief that we have. Many of you guys know it because we say it every single week. You've seen it on social media. But we believe the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Let's say that one more time. It's on the screen. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. So from beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's all about who? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. The plan that God had when mankind fell was to say, I'm going to send my son Jesus to redeem them. Now today specifically, if you're taking notes, we're talking about David. David is a huge character. And I think um, through the course of time, you might agree that anytime we talk about David, there's about three stories that we tend to talk about. And we talk about it with a lot of different points. We talk about the way that David was chosen. We know that he was chosen by Samuel. And we're going to get to that in a minute. So we talk about that. We usually say something really cute like if God has a plan for David, God has a plan for you. We believe that to be true. But we talk about the day he was chosen. The other day that we talk about is the day where he slayed the giant Goliath. Everyone knows the story. I think it's a great story. I think there's a lot of depth to this story there's actually a lot of spiritual warfare in that story that we tend to give credit for but it's a story that we all know my boys love the part where it says David cut off his head um, so <laughs> when you got a five-year-old saying dad I like the part where he cut his head off you're going pray for that child right now so uh, many of you guys know what I'm talking about the other story that we talk about a lot is David's failure we know that David committed adultery with Bathsheba we know that he then became a murderer by having Uriah killed by sending him to the front of the battle lines. And so those are kind of the stories that we, that we tend to talk about. And it's not that that's bad, but I want you to hear me today. There's so much more to the life of David, especially prophetically, that points to Jesus. Because we, we know that Jesus comes from the lineage of David, which is the house of Judah. But there's a lot of things that take place in, in David's life. And as I've shared with you week in and week out... It's kind of difficult in this series at times to really wrap our heads around whatever character we're on for that day or whatever story. So my goal and my aim today is I'm going to spend a lot of time at the front half of this message laying out some cultural context, some things about David that we need to know. But then at the very end, quickly of course, I'm going to walk you through the five seasons in the life of David that all of us need to be aware of because these are seasons that David had to walk through. I, I would probably say that David even had to crawl through some of these scenes and some of these seasons because they were difficult, but they're seasons that apply to you and I in every way, shape, or form. Okay, so let me just lay some groundwork real quick. Did you know that until David came along in the Bible, there was no other character named David? Little fun fact for you there. It's almost as if God decided to preserve his name for one man. And it was during this biblical time that the name David was unheard of. There's a guy by the name of Carl Sandburg who once said this in reference to Abraham Lincoln. He said this quote. He said, a tree is best measured when it's down. A tree better measured when it's down. And Sandburg's opinion 
It is not until a life is down that we can adequately, adequately measure its length of significance or its breadth of impact or its depth of character. And what is true of Abraham Lincoln, I believe is true of David, who eventually becomes the great king of Israel. It's almost as if we can look at his life and measure it better now that he's gone. One of the, the final words of Jesus that Jesus spoke, believe it or not, was to associate himself with David. Notice the words in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in churches. I, this is Jesus speaking, am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. I think it's fascinating that Jesus wants us to know at the very end where it is that he indeed comes from. Now, some of the things that we, that we, that we know that made David great were, were first this, okay? Did you know that there is more written about David than any other biblical character in the Bible, of course, outside of Jesus? More chapters. Think about this. Abraham and Joseph together had 14 chapters in the Bible. Jacob has 11. Elijah has 10. David, 66 chapters devoted to the life of this man. In the New Testament, he's mentioned 58 times, 16 times in Matthew, 7 times in Mark, 13 times in Luke, 2 times in John, 11 times in Acts, 3 times in Romans, 1 time in 2 Timothy, 2 times in Hebrews, and 3 times in Revelation. I had to count that up and make sure that I had it right, so I gave it to Vanessa because she can count really good. His background goes like this. Abraham lived around 2000 B.C. Moses, 1600 B.C. Joshua, 1500 B.C. Then came the judges. Then came Saul and the prophet Samuel around 1050 B.C. And David comes around about 1000 years before Christ. It's a crazy story. He's born in Bethlehem, if you think of it, like another guy that we know by the name of Jesus. I find that kind of funny. And he was the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. Now, I told you I got to lay a lot of, lot of groundwork here to David, okay? So just go with me, okay? The context of him, of, of him historically. Um, he was great because of the times that he lived in. Notice this. God places people at the right time during the right circumstances to bring about a great cause. David is one of those. For example... I don't know if we would know as much about Abraham Lincoln as we do if he was not born during the great sin and controversy of slavery. I don't think we would have known Abraham Lincoln that much. When you begin to think about Dr. Martin Luther King, if he wasn't born during the turbulent times of the civil rights era, we probably wouldn't know too much of him. It's amazing how greatness is usually birthed out of difficult seasons. And we see this in the life of David. Difficult times that he goes through to where now we can look back and see, man, this David guy, he's amazing. I could remember talking about noticing things in turbulent times. I could remember September 11th, as many of you guys probably can. We all knew where we were, what we were doing, who we were with. I think as we begin to, to go through that time, there are a lot of mental pictures that come to mind and a lot of things that we begin to see. I can remember vividly the picture of, of George W. Bush Jr. I call him Jr., W. Uh, sitting in that school reading that book when one of his agents came and whispered in his ears that we had been attacked. I could remember that. 
I could remember as the days begin to unfold the events that begin to take place. A little thing called shock and awe as it began to go across the TV. But what I could really remember is when he took the field at, at Yankee Stadium. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but it is such a, a pivotal moment in our history. And yes, it revolves around the great game of baseball. And I'm so glad he didn't do it in Dodger Stadium, Daryl. It's good to see you here today with your Dodger hat on. I'm not surprised, my friend. But I could remember when he took that field in the midst of all of us not knowing what was going to take place. We didn't know if there was going to be another attack. And the bravery that he displayed as he walked out there in front of a, a crowd and as a nation began to rise. And he took that baseball and he went to that mound. And man, he threw a heater right down the middle. It was amazing. And I could remember the hope that seemed to kind of come back, not only in that stadium, but in our nation as we begin to rise back up from a tremendous, horrific day. I'll always remember, just for me personally, that president for that moment. It's amazing how difficult moments are tied to historic events. And we see this in the life of David. He's born at a very pivotal time. For five centuries before David, the nation of Israel had been in decline. And as you've journeyed with us week in and week out, we've seen that to take place since the fall of man all the way to the point where now we've walked away from these are such as Moses and Joshua. Then we've got into the series of Judges and then Samuel comes on the scene. We now get to this point where now it's, it's time for kings to come on to the scene. The last great leader was Joshua. God raises up Judges. Judges didn't work. So he told Samuel, the people told Samuel, we want a king. So let's go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, look at verse 4. It says, then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Look at this next word. Now make us a king. It's worth noting that the people wanted a king. Make us a king. To judge us like all the nations. So now they wanted to be like everyone else. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel, he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, watch here, but they have rejected me. That I shall not reign over them. So God wasn't going to establish kings. The people wanted it. Samuel was displeased, but God said, okay, if they want a king, then we're going to make this work. Now, if you read Jacob's prophecy all the way back in Genesis chapter 49, you'll know that the king was to come out of the line of Judah, not of Benjamin. I know I'm getting a little, what I call pastor geeky here for a moment. I'm going a little bit deep here, but when you want to talk about prophecy taking place, especially in where we are today, the people of that day didn't even get it. All the way back, Jacob said, look, the king's coming. And we know the king that he's referring to, he's referring to Jesus. Coming out of the tribe of the line of Judah, where David comes from, the lineage. But what do they do? They get Saul. We know that Saul was a good-looking guy, much like myself. Just joking, just joking. I told myself I would never do that joke, and I just did it. I regret it. Samuel was the leaps and bounds above everybody else, but he was out of the, the wrong tribe. 
Think about this story unfolding. Give us the king. Samuel, God, well, no, give it to him. It's worth noting, and we'll get to this in the scripture, that God appoints the king. I'll show that to you in a moment. So Saul, he represents a decision that the people made so they could be like everyone else. And as we know, it didn't work out. He didn't work. When you read story upon story upon story of Saul's reign as king, it just never worked out. We talked about it last week, how he went to war before Samuel came, the prophet. Always doing his own thing. David, though, is a completely different type of man. His family was not wealthy or famous. He did what was normal by servants. He was watching after his father's sheep as a son. We know that he's an afterthought to his family for when Jesse got all of his boys together so Samuel can appoint a king, David wasn't even invited to the party. You ever felt left out before? You ever been left out by family? It hurts. Man, David's on the backside of a mountain taking care of some sheep. The prophet comes. Jesse gets all of his boys. Not David, though. David's the outcast. You got to understand that for this story to take place. But notice God's description of David. Now, I'm going somewhere with this because it's important. Look at 1 Samuel 13, 14. It says, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Whose heart? God's heart. Now, when you read that, it's a little perplexing because we know the story of David. How does David, an adulterer and a murderer, get labeled a man after God's own heart? It's a puzzling statement. Now, to be after God's own heart is really just one who does the will of God. And it's worth mentioning that David was great because of the confession of his life. I think David can be labeled a man after God's own heart because David, even in the midst of mistake, and I said this wrong last week, it wasn't Samuel, it was actually Nathan, even when Nathan comes after him and confronts him on sin, what does David do? David, he confesses. See, many would have focused on the sin of David and saying how a man falls instead of how a man, man becomes great despite his failures. That's what people would do. It's amazing how we, we take a failure and we make it a focus and we make it the context of a person's life. Have you noticed that? That's what they did with David. It was a mistake that he made. See, while God takes man, man's failure and makes it an exception, but not the focus. David is a man after God's own heart because the focus is on David as a son of God, not his failure. And in other words, God was saying, I will not cancel out a man's life because of his failure. This may seem deep to some of us, but hear me. God is the same way with us because we fail. But he doesn't cancel us out. People believe that. Why, Why must have done, done so bad that God says, hey, God, God's done with me. God's never done with anyone. The Bible says, says long-suffering, not willing that any would perish, that all would come to eternal life. We, we see from the story of the prodigal that no matter what you do, how far you run, how much you, you lose, the father is, is always looking for the son. But what happens is, probably all done it, done it. 
We look at a person's shortcomings and they get that label. Matter of fact, many of you accept the label that people give you, forgetting what God's label over you is. I do it myself. Some of us, we take our failures and we elevate them above the name God, God gives us. So, so we, we always, always feel like a failure. Can't quite hack it. Not quite strong enough. Not quite gifted enough. All the things we say about ourselves, God would never, ever say about us. You see, God sees David's failures as the exception, but not his whole life. Can you just look at me real quick? God sees your life the same way. If this is the span of your life, born, die. You, you know that happens to all of us, right? Okay. Most of us. Good answer. And here's this little, little blip of what you would consider the worst day of your life. The biggest failure you've ever had. Right here. Here's the beginning. Here's your itty bitty little blip. And here's your life. And so we spend the rest of our life because of this moment right here living below the title in the position that God Almighty himself gives us. If we learn anything from the life of David, it is this. Yes, he failed. Big time. But his confession of getting right before the Lord made the rest of this a whole lot better. Don't ever eliminate yourself. It's funny. We, we call David an adulterer. He did it once. And he was forgiven. We call David a murderer. He did it once. And he's forgiven. So why is it so easy for us to say David the murderer, David the adulterer, instead of David the king of Israel? Because we're prone to the negative. Uh-oh. How many good things has God done in your life? Go ahead, just begin to count them in your head real quick. Probably can't number, but you can say a lot then why does one thing eliminate all the good? It's because we tend to go towards the negative. There's so much more, so much more good. Da David's life, whole span of his life, an amazing read. Remember, 66 chapters. It's a lot of stuff. But it's a great life. So here's what I want to do as we round second base. And that's an Oakland A's player, Daryl, rounding second base to score <laughs> on the Dodgers. I want to look at I want to look at five seasons of David's life. And these seasons are actually found. Matter of fact, if you were to go to the, to the map in here or the map in the back of your Bible, you, you would see most of these, if not in here, for sure in your Bible. There are five different seasons that David faced in five different locations. And it speaks to us. This is why the Bible is so fascinating. I love it. All right, for, first season, write this down is the season of Bethlehem. Everyone say Bethlehem. All right, so season one is Bethlehem. Now, this season in David's life would be known as the season of small beginnings and a time where he is going to be tested on being faithful in the little so that he could one day be ruler over much. We know that passage of Scripture. In the same way, think about your life, especially in God. All of us have what's called a Bethlehem season. 
It's a season where we are tested with our faithfulness with God. Now, many of us would say Zion would be the place that David would end his life. That's where everything's in its fullness of God, right? Here's Zion. Here's Bethlehem. A lot of us want to skip through all these seasons and get to the really, really good season. Am I the only one in here? We want things to change in our lives. You guys take it quiet on today. I know I did a lot of teaching, but here's the deal. I had to lay the context out. We, we're here in Bethlehem, small beginnings, we want the fullness of God over here, and we want to skip all of this stuff in between. Can't do it. You can't do it. There are things that you will learn in your Bethlehem small season of life that will carry you over into the big seasons of your life. And here's what I know to be true. If you don't experience Bethlehem, you won't understand Zion. Or, watch here, you won't appreciate it. Man, I'm telling you, there is so much gratification in what I call the grind of life if we will just simply go through the grind. Instead of, ah, trouble, hard, go somewhere else. You know what I mean? Have you been there before? We don't want to handle the hard days. I, I Listen, I know I focus a lot on this, but just go with me, okay? It's like, we don't, <laughs> when you're fighting with your spouse, how much easier is it to say, you know what, let's just forget it all, well, just, no. Instead of, no, you probably need to talk that through. Because if you don't talk that through, it's going to come up again. With your children, it's the same way. If you don't address the things when they're small, and you don't focus on those things, and they begin to grow and live life, it becomes a lot harder over there. You've got to embrace the small things in your life. Listen, no one is exempt from the season of Bethlehem. Even Jesus himself started out physically in Bethlehem. How many of you guys are wishing it was Christmas time right now? I know I do. So what's the purpose of this season? The purpose of this season is to train our hearts to be faithful in small beginnings and small things. Zechariah 4.10, for who has despised the day of small beginnings? Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will now make you ruler over many things. You want to know why Saul didn't make it? Because Saul didn't handle the seasons correctly. He handled them wrong. But when Samuel is looking for the next king, God appoints David. Why? Pretty simple. He's 17 years old. He's on the backside of the mountain taking care of his father's sheep. Seems like a small task. Anybody ever gone to the other side of the mountain and just looked at sheep? You know what they do all day? Nothing. Eat. <laughs> Maybe run every once in a while. Anybody ever had a job where it just was so mundane. Little movement. How long did you last? Don't answer that if it's been decades. I'm just joking. You ever just done something that's just boring? Let me just put it that way. You ever done something boring? It doesn't last long. Here's the craziness. When we think of this, we think of, you know, okay, well, David, Jesse's dad, eight sons. They got to have a bunch of sheep, right? When I read this story, I would think, well, David, if it's, if it's a big enough deal for David to be on the other side of the mountain doing this deal, man, this has got to be a lot of sheep. L look, at, look at 1 Samuel 17, 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard 
when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. David had gone to the battle line to deliver some cheese and some bread, okay? And he said this, his older brother, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep? Hmm. Just a few? Couple, right? Couple, few? We don't know how much few is, but it ain't a lot. So here's David being faithful in small matters over a few sheep. Small beginnings. David was faithful with it. Think about this. He's already been anointed king. This, this is fascinating. He's already been anointed king, but yet he's still submissive to his father in many ways. Now, come on, let's be real. Prophet labels you the next king. You're looking at all eight brothers, possibly even your dad, and saying, I don't have to do what you say anymore. Matter of fact, you have to do what I say. Does anybody else not think like that? You're missing out. No, I'm just joking. He doesn't. You know what he does? He leaves the battlefield and goes right back to the sheep. Just a few of them. Short. Few. So it, it, it begs us to ask this question. If you're in a Bethlehem season of life, how's it going for you? How are you doing in the small things? It's questions I have to ask myself. In the small seasons of life or the small beginnings of life, how am I handling all of it? Am I being faithful in those little things? Am I being faithful in relationships? Am I being faithful in ministry, faithful with talents, faithful in my gifting, faithful in my giving? Am I, or, or am I just going through these, these motions and wondering why I'm still stuck in Bethlehem? Could it just be that we're not handling the small things? What, what, what was, we, we, we know the Bible says that the small foxes that, that ruin the vine, the little, little ones. Hear, hear me. Faithfulness is the, is the only thing that brings God opportunities. opportunities. I don't know what season of life or what you're looking for next. I don't know what that next step is that God has for you. But I'm convinced God can't give it to you unless he can count you faithful here. Your boss doesn't give you the promotion. It's God's favor that gives you the promotion. Your boss is not your source. God is your source. So you will be promoted to the place where God wants you when he sees that you are, you're faithful here. And then he promotes you. You all doing all right? All right, just making sure. Season of Bethlehem. All right, I got a cruise here. Season number two, Gibeah. That's a fun name. Gibeah. Now, this span in David's life is about five years. It's ages 17 through 23. Notice what takes place in 1 Samuel 16, verse 19. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. That's, there he is again. And Jesse took a donkey and he loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat. And he sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him. And he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. David becomes the armor bearer to Saul. Then Saul sent to Jesse saying, please 
Let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. David now has favor with the king in charge. I believe because he was faithful in his Bethlehem season. It's like being 17 years old and being asked by the president to become a part of his closed cabinet. Apparently you're on the end. That's a quick promotion. I don't know how to equate it any better than that, but David goes from the back of a hill to the inner circle of the king. Just like that. Another principle, that faithful and little ruler over much. I mean, think about this. Early promotions, think about Joseph. Joseph had a dream from God, told it to his brothers, and he got thrown into a pit, and then a palace, and then a prison. Talk about a great promotion. It's a good thing it turned out good. Paul, book of Acts, instant success. Quick. Tremendous story. All of a sudden now people want to kill him. And they thrust him into a desert for almost 16 years. His promotion got him a desert all by himself. Think about Moses, the right-hand man for Pharaoh for 40 years. 40 years old, thinking about retirement. How many guys would like to be there? 40 and ready to retire. But God says, your success has 80 more years to go. David's promoted, boom, just like that. Here's what I've learned. We're tested by early success, but we can also be trained by it. Success will test you, but success will also, it will train you. Proverbs 27, 21, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, and a man is valued by what others say of him. Listen, when people get praised, they don't want to do lesser things or small things, do they? But not David. David's like, I got this. Let's go to season three. Now he's in Adullam. When we look at his life, these are the tough years. I'm going to go through this quickly, so track with me. These are the seasons where David found himself running from cave to cave. So the translation for us is this would be the season of hard times. Anybody ever fell in hard times? Good. I see some head nods. The rest of you, it's coming. <laughs> it's not because you're bad. It's because the devil's real. And when you're a child of God, there's a cave coming. David finds himself in this season. And you can read it in 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 4. But David's early success created a lot of re relational tension. And now his life is, is threatened. Think about this. Saul was paying the salary of 3,000 men to simply find David and kill him. That's a lot of salaries. That's a lot of life insurance. That's a lot of health insurance. That's a lot of feeding going on. Think about this. 3,000 men to kill one man. Seem a little over the top. But David's on the run. Couldn't go anywhere without being reported by someone. Seven years. David is on the run. Tested cave by cave by cave. But the miracle in the story of 
David's time in this season was the fact that God was dealing with him and his sin and his issues. And when you read the story a little bit later on, you know what's fascinating about it? He's also teaching David how to help his men overcome their sin and their issues. I think that goes for some of us that find ourselves in hard times, but we still have to live life. That even in the midst of a hard time, we can still help others. We don't get to give up on life. We don't get to isolate. There might be a period of time where we have to get alone to ourselves to allow God to minister to us. But there's a season of helping others, even in the midst of a lot of hard times. David, in one of the hardest seasons of his life, gives us Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. This psalm was created when he was in the cave running from Saul. And notice these words. It goes on in verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. For this poor man cried out, David speaking of himself, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him from his troubles. Man, I learned so much from this psalm and from David here in this point that my words really do matter in the midst of hard times. And who I'm looking to really matters. I think because we read this in story form, it's just easy for us to just think, oh, David's just running from cave to cave. Put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in the story. Death is awaiting him. Guys, he's not even king yet. He has a promise from God. You're the king, but he's on the run. But David watches what he says. It gets better. Season four, Hebron. Second Samuel 2 1. It had happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up, David said, Where shall I go? And God said, To Hebron. David did this when he was about 30 years old. He lasted there for eight years. At this point, he still has 14 more years to go until he's king. And he did not say, the kingdom is mine, because Saul had a son who reigned as king for two years. So David, he's out where he's supposed to be, but he doesn't get to be king yet. The season in his life is what I would call really the season of covenant community. In other words, we're in this life together. Go back and read this story. David had to coexist with Saul's son as king. David had some responsibilities, and he had to do it in a matter of which was honoring, in a community of people. And it, how difficult would that be? That's like saying, hey, you get the promotion, you get to be the boss, but in five years, keep working side by side. You don't get to call the shots yet. So David had to learn how to, how to work with that. I want you to read this later on as we wrap up because I'm going a little bit long on time here, but Psalm 133. 
verses 1 through 3. I'll give you the highlight version of it. Without unity, there's no power of God. Think about this in our context. If we're not in unity as the church of Jesus and what God's specific plan is for our church in this town, God can't command the blessing. That's why we fight so hard for unity in our church. We fight for it. We consistently ask ourselves, what's the mission? What's the vision? What are we trying to do? That's why nights like tonight when we get together for team night to share a meal and to, to hang out with one another, yes, it's a good time. Yes, we get, to, we get to be around each other, not necessarily in a church context where I'm talking and you're listening. But then also, too, we get to say, hey, look, what is God asking us to do as a church? What are we doing? We're getting in unity so God could command his blessing. That's the power of it. Then we get to season five, and it's with this one that I close. I know I got a lot of content at you today. It's important, though. Season five would be Zion. This is the season of life in which David is right where he's supposed to be, right where God calls him. David's king. Took a long time to get there. Talk about a long time in college. It's a long time for David. The season of his life, age 37 to age 70. If you were to go back and read 2 Samuel chapter 5 through 10, you would see all this unfold. But the season of Zion is David pressing into the fullness of God. So I want to ask you a question as we close. See if you can get it. How did David become king? How'd he do it? I know. We don't like being put on the spot. Man, we can give a plethora of stuff, right? Go back through the seasons. Was it the Bethlehem experience? Sure. Adalem? Sure. Hebron? Sure. All of those seasons played a part. But here's, here's how David became king. Book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 20. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of the God forever, of God forever and ever, for his wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons, and he removes kings, and he raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things, and he knows what is in darkness, and light dwells with him. David becomes king because of God and God alone. Now, what does it mean for us? Listen, I know, listen, I get it. This is a different type of message. Totally get it. Pastor's geeking out on the Bible, using words that he had to look up to make sure he understood. True story. But I read all of this and I share all of this with you 
And you know what it does for me? It points me back to the fact that if God had a specific plan for a man to become king, then God has a specific plan for a man named Rich who lives in San Luis Obispo. If God has a specific plan for David, then God has a specific plan for you. The question that I have for you is will you keep learning the lessons in the season that you're in so God can move you to the next season? And then when you get to that season, will you let God show you some things so that he can move you to the next season? I said it last week. God, does not, God doesn't move in steps or in leaps. He does it in steps. So what we do is we say, hey, God, I want the fullness of you. God, I, I read this Bible and it, it talks about all this stuff that I could have. Now, God, I want you. Just like the song said, I'm not here for blessing, but God gives them. God, I want all of that. I want my marriage strong. I want my finances to be good. I want my kids going to heaven. I want favor with people. None of those are bad. But hear my heart. Some of us are missing out on that season because we're not looking at the season that we're in, asking God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to correct in my life? I know it sounds tough, but hear me, friends. God can't promote you to the next season until you obey and listen to what he's saying in this season. And I mean this respectfully. If you don't, if you're not careful, you become a victim in this season. Poor me. I've done it. Poor me. Chips never fall my way. The A's never win the World Series. Just can't catch a break. Uh, you get frustrated, angry, short with people, disheartened, somewhat involved, not involved. You know what you become? You just became Saul. God couldn't promote Saul. But you know what he could promote? Was a young kid. What he could promote was an adulterer who got right. What he could promote was a murderer who got right. You couldn't see it, but I could see it. What God could promote was Josh who was riding out on his bike in the middle of me speaking around in a circle. He sat back there a couple times, high on drugs. And then I ran into him at the gas station, bought him some food, prayed with him, let him borrow my phone. I don't say that for applause. I say it because God could set a drug addict free. If if you will own the season. 